We are continuing our journey through the book of Ephesians. Now, I'm going to just tell you this on the front end, that at the end of the message, there's a really good chance that I'm going to say to you something like, hey, on your way out or before you leave today, turn to a neighbor and tell at least one person that is near you at least one thing that you either learned today or that you heard God say to you. So that's probably something you're going to hear me say at the end of my message today. So I just want to invite you now to be thinking as you're listening to what I'm going to say to you, think about what are the things that God would say to me? What are the things I'm learning? Maybe I'm going to hear something I didn't know before uh, or be challenged in some way. I want to invite you to share that with someone, uh, maybe someone that you don't know, maybe someone you go to lunch with, someone in your family, maybe share it with your kids over dinner tonight. That would be awesome. Uh, keeping in mind that across every age group here at Life Church, we're in the same themes and the same text just about every single Sunday because uh, we're unifying our teaching across the generations uh, here at our church. So with that said, as we are jumping into uh, really the kind of the ramp up to the final section of the book of Ephesians, uh, if that makes sense. If you've ever read anything that Paul wrote, you know that he kind of has a big, long ramp up. He's like the king of long-windedness. Uh, and, and I mean, he's, he's right in there with me for the championship of that, but, um, but Paul can be pretty long-winded. So he's, he's gone for four or five chapters now, and he's told us to remember what it's like to be a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? Uh, what did Jesus do for you? Remember the good news of your salvation. And then he moves in in this kind of second half of the book. He moves into telling us, and this is what it should practically look like for you. So he gets really more like feet on the ground, practical advice. Uh, in the last couple of chapters, Jesus has told us, hey, make sure that, uh, like, it, for example, in, four, in chapter 4, verse 26, be angry and don't sin. Or in chapter 5, verse 3, he says, make sure that you imitate God in everything that you do and avoid sexual immorality and impurity and greed. I mean, he is, he is really getting into your business here in the second half of the book of Ephesians. And just so you remember why he's doing this, is because he's writing this letter that we know as the book of Ephesians. He wrote it as a letter to the Christians who were living in a city called Ephesus. And Ephesus, for all of its uh, being, you know, way back then, way on another part of the planet, in a different time in human history, Ephesus is actually a lot like living in California in America in 2023. You see, Ephesus was a port city. It was wildly influenced by the cultures uh, around them. There was all kind of worship of all kinds of gods. And the popular consensus was, yeah, just worship whatever gods you want and do whatever makes you feel good. Doesn't that sound like living in California in 2023? So this letter that was written to the Christians in Ephesus way back then also is relevant and important for us today in 2023, living in the state of California, living in the United States of America. So Paul has told us what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what it looks like to live as a Christian. And Paul leaves this, uh, he, he levels this incredible challenge to the people of Ephesus throughout this letter. Now, I want to root our text for today into its context a little bit more than just kind of reading it out of nowhere. And, and can you, before I read this to you, can you just imagine for a moment that you are one of those early Christians in the city of Ephesus? You're living in a city where there's all kinds of worship of all kinds of gods. It's basically like Lancaster, but without the internet, and most of us aren't wearing pants. Uh, that's, that's basically, just imagine that. And instead of going to like a large building for church with AC, you went to the house of somebody kind of in your neighborhood who is running a gathering pretty regularly. In fact, they're meeting multiple times throughout the week. They're having meals together and they're talking about all of the things that it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. And you've got all of these pressures and stress and tension about how do I be a Christian when, you know, there's all this idolatry and worship of false gods all around me. How do I do that when the popular thing is to abandon or hold loosely the standards of Jesus? And you get invited to this meal that you've been to at your friend's house a bunch of different times, and they've cracked out this letter from the great apostle Paul. 
Apostle Paul was heavily responsible for the, the movement of Jesus even within your own city. And they're reading along in this letter. And, and depending on how your environment was being run, there's a possibility that this letter was just read one single time and then it's been discussed for weeks and weeks and weeks. Or it was read multiple different times or in sections. And you're sitting around this table with friends and family members and you're discussing what it means to be a Christian. And then you hear in the context of this entire letter, you hear what Pastor Greg preached uh, from last week as Paul writes to you, an early Christian in a world that is trying to pull your attention away from God. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient. Because of these things, and these things are all of the darkness and the sexual immorality and impurity and greed that we're told to avoid. Paul writes this to you. Therefore, do not become their partners, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible. For what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it is said, get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So you've heard this incredible challenge. Don't be deceived by arguments of the world around you. Remember that you used to be darkness, and because of Jesus, you now are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Don't do the things the world around you is doing. In fact, don't even spend time talking about those things. They're not even worth your energy. And then this, this great, uh, almost as if you can hear Paul shouting with his pen, he would say to you, wake up and stay awake. Wake up and stay awake so that the light of Christ will shine on you. And if you are an early Christian sitting in a friend's house and, and you hear the Apostle Paul telling you, wake up, stay awake, don't live that way so that you can always live in the light of Jesus shining on you. And you're curious in any kind of way, you might be asking this question, how do I actually live like that. I mean, like, you've met my neighbors. You see where I go to work. You know the city I live in, right? And we're asking the same questions in 2023. We're asking the same questions of Paul and of God. How do I actually live with the light of Jesus still shining on me? And almost as if to say, I'm so glad you asked. Paul goes on, he says, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living. Some of your translations use a fun word uh, like dissipation. Some other translations use the word debauchery, which is a really fun word to say. says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Which, by the way, just, just, we won't spend too much time here, but just to say that phrase, the fear of Christ, is, there's another expression in Scripture that talks about the fear of the Lord, and this would be honor and reverence of the Lord. Not cowering in terror of God, but knowing His great power and being aware of His great love, despite the fact that you didn't do anything to earn it, you live in this sense of honor and reverence that one of the popular biblical expressions would, to, would be to say to live in the fear of the Lord or the fear of the Lord Christ. So then, in answering the question, how do we actually live in the light of Jesus? I, I would say to you that from our text today, we can see that Paul has actually offered three keys to living in the light of Jesus. 
if you're taking notes to try to uh, be able to answer the question at the end of the message, what did God say to you or what did you learn or what stood out to you today, uh, you might write the title of the message would be something like Three Keys to Living in the Light. And Paul goes on actually after this to write about family. He goes on to write about servanthood and authority, uh, it, which we can actually learn a lot from our, how we engage as, as Christians in the marketplace and in the workplace. And then he writes about spiritual warfare, and that's how he begins to wrap up this letter. But before he gets into that, he says these three things. And the first one today, how do we live in the light, is Paul says, be serious. Be serious. Now, just for the record, be serious doesn't mean never be funny and never have fun. We actually talked about that a couple of weeks ago. God is not interested in us living a boring life, but he is interested in us living a serious life or taking life seriously. Listen again to how he says it. Pay careful attention then to how you walk. There's at least five other moments in Scripture, uh, it, just in this letter alone, where Paul has already used that phrase, how you walk, or walking in the good deeds, he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. God designed you beforehand with good works in mind, that you should walk in them. As he uses this word walk, what he's, he's talking about the way you live, the way you carry yourself, uh, the way you uh, express yourself in the world, the way you engage with the world around you. He says, pay careful attention to how you you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So now, this is one of the major themes here that Paul wants us to understand, that as followers of Jesus, we have to take our lives with a grain of responsibility. You didn't just become a Christian and then Jesus, you, like you wake up every morning and then Jesus gives you a checklist of all the things that you have to do. And as long as you do that, now you can go to bed at night. No, Jesus actually wants you to live in relationship with him, taking your life seriously, meaning that he wants to be a part of your entire life. I, I don't know that Jesus cares too much what shirt I put on today. But he, he does care about that as I was getting dressed, I was thinking about the people I'm going to engage in, be around, right? I don't think he cares about whether or not uh, that I am, uh, that I got an, uh, six hours of sleep last night. But I think he does care that I'm taking my life seriously enough so that when I am around people, I'm not a punk because I'm just grumpy. I think God doesn't want to give me like hard and fast rules because he's a legalist. I think he loves me so much that he wants to enjoy life with me so that I can enjoy life in him, right? But in order to do that, I have to take my life seriously. And I would just argue that I, I think a lot of times, at least maybe it's maybe as I'm coming into, uh, I'm getting close to 40, and I'm beginning to realize that the Bible isn't just written for young people when it says take your life seriously, like, I think I'm beginning to find out that there isn't an age cutoff where you go, oh, well, I'm over 30 now. I guess I don't have to hear the Lord tell me to take my life seriously. Some of us, if I could be so bold, friends, are in a season of life where we've been living long enough that we think, well, now I can just coast and I don't have to take the kingdom of God and life seriously. I'll just, I'll just kind of love Jesus by going to church on Sundays until I'm dead. Look, there's no such thing as being too young or too old to be called to take your life seriously. I think this is what Paul is saying. This is why he didn't say young people take your life seriously. He just said, pay attention. Take your life seriously. Pay attention to the way you walk. So Paul is telling us to pay attention to two things here, I think. Remember who he's written to. He's written to you. You live in a world that is trying to pull at your attention. So he's saying, first of all, pay attention to the world around you. Don't live like the foolish people in the world around you. Have you noticed that there's any foolishness in the world around you? Don't live like that. And before you get too judgmental, have you noticed that there's also a lot of foolishness in the world within you? I think that's the second thing that Paul would say to us, is pay attention to the world around you and the one inside of you, and be wise in the way that you walk. Pay attention to the world inside of you and around you, keeping your head on a swivel and your heart on the examining table before the Lord. And Paul really drives this point home, right? He says, don't be unwise or foolish. Don't waste your life. Don't forget that the world around you is full of darkness. Essentially, be on alert. 
Why? Because the days are evil. Have you noticed? Have you watched the news? Have you ever had a conversation? Question mark. That was the end of that phrase. Have you ever talked to any? Have you ever met a person? Have you ever looked in the mirror? The days are evil. And this is not new. I was just talking to some friends before service this morning, and we were, we were saying, yeah, there's a lot of evil and darkness in the world that we live in, but we were simultaneously also saying, these are not new things. The devil didn't just, like, wake up in 2020 and go, ha, I'm going to get them now. I'm like, a lot of us didn't see it coming. Because we thought, like, We've got, like, cultural and political power. The days must be good. No, the days have always been dark, and you were always supposed to be the light in them. Right? The days are evil, so take life seriously. Of course, you know this culture is full of darkness. Uh, Corruption is all around us and sometimes within us. People are calling what is evil good and what is good evil, which is something God tells us to be very careful about doing. And, and, And just this week, if you've been on social media, you found out and maybe you were as shocked and and not sure what to do with this information, just like I was, you probably found out, and and I'll just give you the news if you didn't know this, that that coming up pretty soon in our own city, at our own library, there's going to be a a family event held by the after-school Satan Club. Yes, what is the appropriate question when you hear that? Now, I'm a person with big emotions. And when I saw that, I had some. I had some big feelings about that. And it was interesting as I saw that while studying for this sermon and this passage of Scripture going, oh, there's a great example of the days being evil. The, The Satanist club wants my kids to hang out with them at the library so that they can play games and subtly tell them. And, and here's, the, here's the interesting thing about the Satanist Club is they say, uh, we actually are calling ourselves a Satanist Club just because we think it's hilarious because we know Satan's not really real. So let's, in his name, gather, right? Now, I don't care if you think he's real or not. If you put his name on your club, you're worshiping him, right? So I thank you very much. Won't be sending my kids to the library that day. Um, but, but I'd just like to, just for a second, invite you to notice how Scripture tells us to respond to the darkness around us. Because I, I, I actually had some people ask us, hey, what are we going to do about that? And I saw some people say they're going to, like, show up and say some things. And I saw some other people posting some stuff on Facebook. I, I would just like to say to you the same thing that we've been saying for the last three or four years. We will never deny that there's darkness in the world, and we will never call the evil good. But we also don't see in Scripture that we're invited to show up and protest. What we're first invited to do is protect our own hearts, right? And it's interesting to me that Paul says that if you take your life seriously, live as not as the unwise people but as wise, then you will know what the will of the Lord is. It's just interesting how we spend so much of our energy knowing what the will of the devil is. And if you would just spend more of your energy focusing on the will of the Lord, the will of the devil will sort of just work itself out as it comes into encounters with people who know what the will of the Lord is. Like we spend a ton of energy acting like the devil, trying to tell the devil to stop being the devil when we should just act like Jesus and then he'll direct us to be the light in the darkness. So am I happy that the Satan Club is hanging out at the Lancaster Library? No, I'm really not happy about that. Am I mad at the library? I don't know, because if I asked to have a Christian club there, they'd probably let me if I fill out the right paperwork. Right? Who am I mad at? Am I even mad at the Satan Club? Why, why would I waste energy being mad at people who are bound and lost? Who Jesus came to love and save? So how do I respond? 
I know what the will of the Father is. What's the will of the Father for the club that's going to meet at the library? That all of those people have a radical, life-changing encounter with Christ. Right? Oh, and just so you know, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he gave you the keys to the kingdom, so it's actually your responsibility to love those people into the kingdom. Ha! Gotcha! How do we do that? You take life seriously. What is Paul saying? Pay attention to the darkness in the world around you. Pay attention to the darkness inside of you. And never forget that we're not having a how to be blessed by God conversation. We're having a how to lead the darkness into the light by the name of Jesus conversation. We're not talking about how to make sure we have cultural and political power again because I think we lost it over the last few years. We probably should have never had it to begin with because that's not how the kingdom comes. The kingdom comes when you and me, when we take life seriously enough to know that salvation is actually about life and death and we go love lost and dead people into life in the name of Jesus. That's what it looks like to take life seriously enough that the world might actually change through Jesus. I'm sorry that I yelled at you. I'm just very passionate about this. God, help us. Help us to be so passionate about you and take life so seriously that when we see death, we would go, I know I have the answer to that. And that it looks like love. Amen. I think that God absolutely wants us to be peacemakers and world changers. Amen? So let's go do it. Let's take our life seriously. Be wise and be on alert. Yes? Okay, good. So solve that problem. Here's the next thing that Paul tells us. If we want to live in the light, we have to take life seriously. That means a ton of other things. We could do a whole series just on that. But then the second thing that Paul says is he says, be sober. Look back at the beginning of verse 18. He says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to, in my translation, the CSB, to reckless living. Now, I I think that's actually a really good translation because Paul's making a very important point here that is relevant to all of us, whatever your thoughts are about wine. Uh, and I want us to catch the whole point. And I think we have to understand, first of all, that Paul's not just saying wine bad. Next point. That's, that's actually not, he's making a much more profound and interesting statement here. Um, which, but just as an aside, if, if you were going to say wine bad all the time, period, end of next point, you'd have to take issue with Paul telling Timothy to drink some wine because it was good for his stomach. You'd have to take issue with the guy that saved you from eternal hellfire because one time he was at a wedding and, you know. So just like, let's not get bogged down in legalism that causes us to miss the point of what Paul is actually saying. On the other hand, if you have an issue with wine, just don't touch it. But I, but I, think, that, I think that wine, it, it's not the key word in the sentence. Reckless living is the key to this sentence. The result is the key. Uh, the, the word debauchery is the key. It's actually the Greek word here that Paul uses is the Greek word astosia, which means spiritual wastefulness due to excessive behavior and the desire consequences that it brings. Which interestingly, by the way, that word astosia, one of the roots of that word is the Greek word sozo, which means saved. And if you break down astosia, what it actually means is unsaved. So listen again, if you put it into the right context here, Paul is saying, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to the kind of living that unsaved people do. So, yeah, don't get drunk with wine. I don't know whether or not it'll remove your salvation from you. That's a different sermon. But it leads you to the kind of living as if you were not saved. So Paul is saying, don't indulge in things that make you act like an unsaved person. Remember, wine is, uh, number one, not the main issue here. Number two, it was a cultural example that was relevant to the people in Ephesus for whatever reason. We don't know if drunkenness was a big issue in Ephesus. We know that Paul was making a very broad 
point using a very specific example. In fact, there's one commentary that brought uh, some clarity to the point here, and, and it says this. The word translated debauchery doesn't merely refer to alcoholism, as some might think. Rather, it is a broad term associated with wasted, unproductive life. Paul's concern was that those who get drunk are not making the most of every opportunity and are making unwise decisions. Worse, drunkenness makes one's decision-making that much poorer, a self-aggravating condition. So the concern is, again, not wine. We might broaden the concern to say it is abusive substance, uh, maybe even go so broad as to say it is addiction. Which, by the way, Merriam-Webster's def uh, definition of addiction there's a long one. I'll read you the short one because it's, it's just it's, it's simple and good. A strong inclination to do, use, or indulge in something repeatedly. Addiction impacts a lot of people. The National Center for Drug Abuse Statistics say that since the year 2000, nearly one million people have died of a drug overdose. As of 2020, over 37 million people 12 years and older have actively used illicit substances. 13.5% of Americans 12 years and older have used drugs in the past 30 days. 26% of all users of illicit drugs suffer from dependency or addiction. Of the nearly 140 million people 12 years and older who drink alcohol, over 20% of them suffer from alcohol abuse or addiction. And then in recent years, we've actually learned that addiction is not limited to drugs and alcohol. 60% of the world's, world's population, that's 4.8 billion people, use social media on a regular basis. We spend between 6 to 10 hours on the internet every single day. Two to four hours on average is social media use, while some users are on social media apps alone for up to nine hours every day. Which is concerning when you consider that those numbers are prevalent among teenagers, and we send our students to school for somewhere between six to seven hours a day, and they spend more time on social media than they do in the classroom. And then we send them to church once or twice a week. Whew. But no wonder they're getting addicted. You're going to get addicted to a thing you spend half your day on. Right? And there's proven negative effects of social media image uh, on the self-image of teens. Uh, many social media users are what we would actually classify as being addicted. According to the Pew Research Center survey, 54% of teens surveyed said that it would at least be somewhat hard to give up social media, and 18% said they would find it very hard. 41% of young adults, that's people aged 18 to 25, say that social media has negatively impacted their sleep. And 35% also say that it negatively impacts their academic performance. So regardless of the substance, here's the point. Addiction and abuse of resource, even resources that are inherently ambiguous, these things have serious effects on our lives. And the effect is things like this. A healthy brain knows how to reward good behavior, right? But there's research that's been done that says that when you become addicted, you actually rewire the brain. In fact, News and Health has this article that came out that said when you, become an addicted, when you become addicted to a substance, the normal hardwiring of a helpful brain process can begin to work against you. Drugs or alcohol can hijack the pleasure reward circuits in your brain and hook you into wanting more and more. Addiction can also send your emotional danger sensing circuits into overdrive, making you feel anxious and stressed when you're not using the drugs or alcohol or social media app. At this stage, people often use drugs or alcohol to keep from feeling bad rather than their pleasurable effects. And then a Talbot research group found that media addiction has the same effect on the brain as drug and alcohol addiction. So, statistically speaking, somebody in this room is either currently addicted to something or in a personal relationship with someone that is. 
and, and actually statistics would, would say multiple of us in this room find ourselves in that state. Now, I would encourage you to go look at uh, some of the research as some of us are sitting here thinking, well, I know someone who is addicted, what do I do? There's a lot of great advice out there for what you can do. There's a lot of great resources out there for what you can do. Um, and we wanna help in that, by the way. Um, if you need help, don't try to do that alone. Um, I, think, I think it is important here to say this. There's two ways to respond to addiction to abuse. We'll get to that in a second, but what Paul is saying here is not the stuff that leads us to addiction and abuse should just be eradicated from the world. Remember the point he's making. Take your life seriously. You be sober. The point he's making is be careful what you engage with. There's this old expression that we talk about like with money. Let me say, the issue with having money isn't how much money you have, it's whether or not your money has you, right? The issue in this sermon and I think in Scripture is not whether or not you have a glass of wine over dinner. The question is, if you don't, how's dinner? Does it have you? If you don't check your app before you get out of bed in the morning, how's your morning? If you don't know how many people responded to what you posted, do you feel like a human being? And there's a temptation to say that this is only an issue for people under 30, but I follow most of you on Facebook. <laughs> I'm one of you. Like, this is our issue too. This is our issue too. Do we need validation somewhere? Do we need comfort somewhere? Are we running from pain somewhere? And that's why we post. That's why we drink. That's why we consume. That's why we sit up watching Netflix all night. Or is there a better answer than the substance, than the distraction, than the darkness of the world? And this is actually where we move to the third point because Paul says, which by the way, we would say one of the ways we respond to that is get help and do it in the context of community. If you are or know someone who is struggling with addiction, come and talk to us. We actually know places we can connect you with where you can get help and freedom in the context of community. But Paul gives us the first and best answer. You should also do get help in the context of community. But the first and best answer is Paul's third point here. And it is, as Paul says, be spirit-filled. I love that Paul doesn't even get to the end of the sentence. He finishes it in the sentence, right? He says, don't be drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. As if he knows that that's the answer to drunkenness or the answer to addiction or the answer to numbing our pain with media. See, the Spirit or the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a real person with real will and emotions and desires. He is sent by Jesus to fill and empower his followers with the presence and power of God. So the question would be, why is being filled with the Spirit the perfect answer to our need to be free from addiction and distraction? Well, Paul answers that in another letter in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. He says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And also then, along with freedom for us, we are invited by the Spirit to be partners with God to bring freedom to others. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth the Antelope Valley. Sorry, I didn't actually say that as a joke, but as it came out of my mouth, I realized that that sounds like the ends of the earth are the Antelope Valley. <laughs> yeah, sure. That counts too then. Look, God wants to set you free. And if you are here today in bondage, the answer is be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And, and if you're running to addiction and substance or numbing yourself with distraction, the answer is be filled with the Spirit. So that the next time we sing that we only want Jesus and nothing else, 
that we know what that feels like. We're not just saying it as a hopeful prayer, which is in its own right good. But here's what the Holy Spirit will do in our lives. The, the result of the Spirit-filled life, Paul tells us a little bit about that in a minute, but let me just give you two quick things here. The result of the Spirit-filled life is that the Holy Spirit will give us spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts is, the, is how we express the power. In fact, I would define spiritual gifts as supernatural abilities given by the Holy Spirit to Spirit-filled believers for the purpose of demonstrating the love and the power of God to the world. These are spiritual gifts. These are things that you cannot do on your own. There are 16 gifts of the Spirit that can be found between Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. They are prophecy, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, distinguishing of spirits, faith, gifts of healing, miracles, distinct, uh, tongues, interpretation of tongues, serving, teaching, exhorting, uh, which is like encouragement, giving, leadership, and mercy. Now, some of those things sound like just talents that you can have. It can be talented in leadership, but God would supercharge your mercy or your leadership or your teaching so that it goes beyond your natural ability and speaks life to darkness. God wants to prophesy through his church. He wants to give you wisdom where you need wisdom and gifts of healing of all kinds. And then, so there's gifts of the Spirit, and then there's the fruit of the Spirit, which I would define as natural signs of maturity that mark a life developed in partnership with the Holy Spirit. So there's the gifts of the Spirit that give you the ability to do the things that you couldn't do the day before you were filled with the Holy Spirit, like prophesy. And then there's the fruit of the Spirit that you learn how to do more over time in partnership with the Holy Spirit as you become a mature follower of Jesus. In Galatians 5, there are nine fruit of the Spirit listed. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And this is where we see the power for a meaningful and free life from things like addiction and distraction. This is, this is why Paul says the answer is be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I would just like to say in this four-square church as Pentecostal people that when we say uh, we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're not just saying that so that we can see awesome miracles and, and amazing things and, and brag about all the miracles we see in our church. No, we pursue the baptism and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit because this is how freedom comes to people's lives. This is how people get set free. We are saved in the name of Jesus. We are empowered to minister deliverance to people by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is wildly important. And just so you know, there was never a person in all of the New Testament that when one of the leaders of the church found out they didn't have the Holy Spirit, that they went, oh, that's, that's cool. It's not really for everybody. Not a single person. In fact, if you read in Acts chapter 19, there's a story about one of the leaders of the church encountered some dudes who were, who were out preaching and doing good stuff and calling themselves followers of the way. And he asked these guys, hey, do, were you baptized with the Holy Spirit when you came to faith? They said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And the leader's response wasn't, ah, don't worry about it. He said, no, you need to put your faith in Christ and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So they said, cool, let's make sure our faith is 100% in Christ. He laid hands on them and they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It says they began to speak in tongues. Now, I can't absolutely guarantee you that when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you'll speak in tongues. And I do not believe that if you don't speak in tongues, that that's a sign that you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. But I've also never seen a place in the Bible that says, well, speaking in tongues, it's not really for today. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, not really for today, not really for everybody. And anybody that told you that, they're either scared or they just read the Bible wrong. A faithful reading of Scripture will tell you this, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the way you live in the light of Christ. And the way you partner with God to see others come into the light of Christ. You can't do this just because you're good at reading the Bible. Or because you came to church on a regular basis. You need, I, I just feel old preacher style coming on me. Look at your neighbor right now and just tell him, you need the Holy Spirit. Just tell them, right? Even if you're not sure you believe it, just tell your neighbor they need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. So you, you need the Holy Spirit to 
give you the gifts of the Spirit so you can be fully alive in the light of Christ and delivering other people in partnership with the name and ministry of Jesus and see the fruit of the Spirit as you mature and grow. And then Paul just lands the plane so beautifully here by telling us this also is what it will look like if you receive or are filled with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 5.19, this is how we begin to come to the end of our message today. He says, this is what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. You know what that sounds like? A fun church. That sounds like a good community. Here's what Paul is saying. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you won't worry about whether or not wine will satisfy me or if my needs can be met if I just watch one more show or get one more follower on social media. You won't worry about any of that. In fact, you'll have a lot more wisdom so you know how to take life seriously and walk as a wise person and know the will of God. How will you know the will of God? Because you've got God empowering you by the Holy Spirit. Who is, it turns out, God. So you'll be filled with the Spirit and know His will and know how to walk wise in community, not needing anything but God. This looks like a life-giving, God-honoring, mutually submitted community. It's the kind of living that, that holds us in the light of Jesus Christ as the faithful people of God are spirit-filled in the context of community, speaking life to each other and enjoying praising God together, regularly expressing gratitude for God's goodness and submitting to each other for the purpose of consistently honoring God. This is, this is not just about how to not go to hell when you die. This is the good life. This is what Jesus said. The devil comes to steal and kill and destroy. The, the days are dark. But I have come that they might have life overflowing, life abundantly, life to the fullest. As John chapter 10, 10 tells you Jesus' purpose, and this is what it would look like. A vibrant church filled with the Holy Spirit, sober and taking life seriously. It looks like people who, when we are not speaking life, a spirit-filled community will encourage you with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Hey, join me in worshiping Jesus right now because he's so good. Remember what the word of God says about who you are. And then the, the spirit-filled community will enjoy you, invite you to make your life music to God's ears. When you are grumbling and complaining, or when your neighbor is grumbling and complaining... A spirit-filled community will remind you of God's faithfulness and love and invite you to return to a kingdom perspective. Hey, be grateful for all that God has done. And then that spirit-filled community will say, hey, why don't you put that gratefulness in your mouth? Why don't you say thank you to God? Well, I don't feel like it today. Well, say thank you until you do. When you fall into sin, not if, but when you fall into sin, because, you know, newsflash, you're still human. And when you fall into sin, a spirit-filled community will welcome you back to church. And lovingly, say lovingly, call you to repentance. It's important that we normalize confession and repentance in the spirit-filled church because this is how we come back, submitting to allowing my community of faith to call me to repentance when I need it so that I can live in the light of Jesus, right? Now, uh, just as a side note, I want you to notice that spirit-filled community involves mutual submission. This is not Paul's way of saying, see, we don't need leaders, He's not talking about leadership is bad. Let's just flatten everything. Paul loves to talk about authority and expressing healthy leadership dynamics. Uh, we're not coming to this place and go, see, mutual submission, that's the answer to all the abuse in the church. No, the answer to all the abuse in the church is a spirit-filled community. It's a spirit-filled community, not remove all of the leadership from the church. The goal is not to flatten everything and do away with leadership. Otherwise, uh, as, a, as a parent, I, I would just have to like, be on the same lay, playing field as my own kids. 
Try that. Doesn't work, right? Okay, so remember, the point here is, is it's not simply about the structure of community. Paul is saying that healthy community is, is, is one where the natural result is we're all okay to allow the Holy Spirit to call us to repentance and gratitude and, and speaking life. And then I would add that actually community can only actually be truly healthy when the, when the people of the community are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Let me say that again. Community can only actually be healthy when the people in that community are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. I have never found myself in unhealthy community or being uh, perpetuating or playing a part in unhealthy community while also being led by the Spirit of God. Never. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will lead you to call for justice where you see injustice in the context of community. Why? So that we can call the community back to what it looks like to be filled and led by the Holy Spirit. And sometimes the person that God calls you to speak justice to, hey, get in line with the will of God, is yourself. So what do I do? I submit my entire life to the Holy Spirit of God. And how do I know if I'm filled with the Spirit? Well, that story in Acts 19 that I referenced earlier. Have you placed your faith in Christ? And then, and then this is step two. Step one, place your faith in Christ. Step two, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which often happens through the laying on of hands of people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And sometimes it just happens as a person is ready to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, like at Cornelius' house. Peter was preaching the gospel, and as he was talking, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So, are there rules about how it has to happen? Yes. Yeah. They are, put your faith in Jesus and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Oh, and then step three, live as if you actually did. So in Acts chapter 19, they began to speak in tongues. In Acts chapter 2, they preached the gospel. Throughout all of the New Testament, you see the result of being filled with the Holy Spirit is a person who lives as if the Holy Spirit were now in charge of their life. Because he is, and he should be, and he must be. As you do what the Spirit leads, you will be much more likely to remain in the light of Christ. So here's what Paul has told us, to stay in the light of Jesus. We are to be serious about our life, being aware of the evil of, in the world and watching how we walk. We are to remain in the light of Jesus, to be sober, not giving ourselves over to any kind of influence that leads us to unsaved kinds of living. And to remain in the light of Jesus, we are, number three, to be spirit-filled, which produces powerful gifts, beautiful fruit, and healthy, life-giving, God-honoring, mutually submitted community. So here's the questions for you today, so you can begin to reflect on how this message would speak to you, how Paul and the Holy Spirit would speak to you today. Question number one, am I taking life seriously? Are you paying attention to the world around you and within you? Are you taking life seriously? Question number two, am I living a sober life? That word sober can mean all kinds of different things to all kinds of different people who are hearing me ask that question. But as God asks you that question, am I living a sober life? You might also ask, am I giving myself over to any kind of substance? Am I, am I giving my time and attention over to any kind of distraction? Have I found myself in an addiction? And question number three, am I living filled and led by the Holy Spirit? Or am I just attending or playing at church and Christianity? Am I hoping that attendance and behavior modification and management will be enough to get me into the kingdom of God? Or am I filled with the Holy Spirit? I want to invite you to take a moment to reflect on your own life. These questions are here for you to, to just reflect and, and consider. And I know on Sundays we put words or questions like this up on the screen. I see a lot of you get your phone out and just take a picture. I want to encourage you to jot these questions down or take a picture of the screen and carry these questions with you for the rest of the week. 
Am I taking life seriously, living a sober life and living filled and led by the Holy Spirit? As you reflect, which, which of these questions stands out to you the most today? What might God be saying to you? How might you respond to what God is saying? I'm going to pray for us in just a moment. Before I lead us in prayer, I just want to invite you with these questions still on the screen. Some of you might find yourself in a place where you would say, I, I actually need to deal, deal with God on something real quick. This would be a great opportunity for you just in the, the privacy of your own space in that chair that you're in to say anything that you need to say to God. It might be, God, I put my faith in you today. I choose to follow you. I repent of the ways that I have lived in the darkness of the world or help me to live more wise. It might be, God, I'm aware that I'm struggling, living an unsober life. Maybe you find yourself distracted or addicted or consumed by substance. The place to begin is the name of Jesus. Jesus, help me to find freedom. Might be your prayer today. I find freedom in your name. Help me in community to live in freedom. Maybe today you would be like those followers of the way in Acts chapter 19, saying, I've been coming to church for a long time. I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit I needed to be filled with. And if that's you, then this would be the invitation for you right here. You simply say this, Holy Spirit, I believe that you are God. Fill me today. Baptize my life and lead me from here on out. God, as each of us are responding to these questions, ultimately we're responding to your word, to the invitation of the Holy Spirit today. God, would you meet us in this place? As we go from this place back out into the world where it feels like that's where the darkness is, would you help us to be the light, but would you also help us to receive the light in the places where there's darkness even within us as we go from here? Jesus, we say this to you. We thank you that you are the light of the world. We know that we were once darkness, but you have made us children of light. Thank you, Jesus, for your life-saving work and love. Help us to live in your light always. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, God, so that we can be sober serious about the life that you have gifted us and as we live in your light use us to be a light in this dark world we pray these things in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen